We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. You're listening to Setting the Pace. Now, here's your host, Alex Golden and the great Kent Sterling. Alrighty, everybody, what's going on? Welcome back to another episode of Setting the Pace here on IndieSportsLegends.com. I'm your host, Alex Golden, joined again by Kent Sterling. And Kent, the Pacers have added two more names to the coaching search. Let's just hope they're a little bit smarter than the Atlanta Falcons special teams coach. <laughs> that poor guy. Good God. <laughs> you know, even coming out of a timeout. What's the one thing you know about kickoffs and onside kick? The, the, the defense, the recovering team, the receiving team, they can go touch it any time they want. <laughs> it's the team that's kicking that has to wait the 10 yards. Those idiots. Uh, Somebody's got to get fired. Uh, Somebody's I mean, got to get fired. I can't. I couldn't believe that. I, I literally, I was not feeling great yesterday. Just a little like tired of long weekend. I fell asleep after the Colts game. Had that game on. It was 39-30. It was just right after the, the Cowboys um, went for two and missed it. I said, well, that's it. I don't know why they went for two there. I don't know why they went for it early. And I was like, I'm just going to take a nap. And my wife changed the channel. Okay, so my wife changes the channel. And I look on Twitter, and I'm like, how about them Cowboys? I'm like, what happened? So I pull it up, and I saw the Cowboys won 40-39. I couldn't yep. believe it, Ken. It was one of the most amazing things to me but i know this is a pacers podcast but the colts look good yesterday i know we got some colts listeners so they did it was it was fun to watch that and i will tell you my wife for the first time in a while watched the colts game with me she didn't know we got rid of adam Vinatieri, and so i'm assuming you will know this about our new kicker i said i said we got a new kicker he's from georgia she said oh who is he i said well just get your phone and type in rodrigo blankenship so she types it in and she goes 
oh, he's so cool. <laughs> and I was like, there you go. That's what everybody's been saying on Twitter. So it just cracked me up because, you know, the glasses and, and how he looks. I was just like, she's, she's suckered in already. She loves him. <laughs> Chicks dig the rec specs. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, I don't. I don't think I could pull it off. My face might be a little too fat for that. But <laughs> if I had if I had the muscles of a uh, of hot rod, then I might go for it. But Kent, we got we got some Pacers news over the week and uh, over the weekend. Mike Brown, uh, former yeah. Pacers assistant and you know coach of the Cavaliers and the Lakers, most notably with LeBron James, and uh, he is interviewing for the Pacers head coaching vacancy. And then Shamsharania came out and said last week the Pacers interviewed with Billy Donovan today. So. Two yeah. two pretty popular names. I want to get your thoughts on both those candidates. Well, we know them, right? We yeah. know who they are. So he, automatically fans like him. But I'm telling you, Billy Donovan, here's some numbers about Billy, Billy Donovan. This past year, the uh, Oklahoma City, the Thunder, they went 44 and 28. The Pacers with Nate went 45 and 28. Over the course of the last uh, four years, or the previous four years, the Thunder won between 47 and 55 games. All right. In the 55 game, uh, that win season, that was with Kevin Durant. Mm-hmm. Um, they have lost in the first round the last four years. Same thing that Nate McMillan just got fired for. To me, like Billy Donovan is the negative version of Nate McMillan. Billy Donovan is white guy Nate McMillan. Why <laughs> you would fire Nate McMillan to hire white guy Nate McMillan, I have no idea. Billy Donovan that's who he is. He is the same coach that you just got rid of minus the pigment. So let's let's be real about that. This would be a terrible hire for the Indiana Pacers. It would make no sense given that Billy Donovan has just gone through four years that are the very mirror, mirror image of Nate McMillan. Uh, Mike Brown, however, he, he, I'll tell you when he was a good coach. He was a really good coach when he had LeBron James. Yeah. When he had LeBron James, he was terrific. When he didn't have LeBron James, he wasn't so very good. Coming back 2013 and 14, they went 33 and 49. If you have good players, you're going to win a lot of games. And and that's kind of Mike Brown's MO. Uh, yeah. He was an assistant coach here for a couple of years, kind of rescued Ron Artest during the brawl and made it so Ron you know, didn't have to do serious time in a Wayne County penitentiary or, or prison facility. And, and so that was good. I like Mike Brown a lot, uh, but, boy, I want nothing to do with Billy Donovan whatsoever. Yeah, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm kind of out on both of them. And I, really? I, will, I will say definitely on, on um, Mike Brown, for this, for this little clip I pulled from uh, Sam Amico from Sports Illustrated, he kind of was just going back saying what's going on with the Pacers having interest in Mike Brown. He said, Mike Brown's teams have always been known for their strong defense and fairly methodical offense. Does that not sound like Nate McMillan to you? Yeah, that is Nate McMillan. And then he said, Brown yeah. has said he is a fan of ugly basketball. What? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I mean if, if that doesn't scream, Nate McMillan, don't hire me. I'm Nate McMillan 2.0 or whatever. I mean, nothing against Nate. I mean, we won a lot of games with Nate in the regular season, but in the playoffs, we didn't have great success. So for me, it's like uh, Mike Brown. Now nah, I'm I'm fine. Move on. Find somebody that's more innovative. I mean, I know you're against D'Antoni. I've been listening to Breakfast with Kent, and I know oh you did a special God. on anti D'Antoni. But at least D'Antoni is different than what you just previously had, and that's what I want. I want to see something different. I don't I don't necessarily love this, but 
Uh, Billy Donovan, like you said, I mean, the resume kind of speaks for itself. He's he's an okay coach. I think he's fine. I think he'd probably be better with an underachieving team. I don't think the Pacers need to be an underachieving team, um, you know, trying to grow and be something better. I think he makes a lot of sense for, like, the Chicago Bulls, someone like that, a team that's trying to grow in the right direction. But I'm not. I'm just not sold on him for the Pacers. I, I still think, after seeing all the names, uh, you got me hyped up more last week than I already was. But I, I think I'm still in the. I'm still in the Chauncey Billups boat. I I am too. And and I'll give you another Mike D'Antoni thing that I really don't like, and that's that somebody from the the Pacers was quoted as saying, or or at least it was it was somebody from the Pacers has said that uh, with Mike D'Antoni, you could have Victor Oladipo be the next James Harden. Yeah. I don't want Victor Oladipo to be James Harden. I want no. no part of that. I want Victor Oladipo to be Jimmy Butler. So whatever we got to do to get Victor Oladipo to be Butler, where when the Heat won in, in this series against the Celtics, he shot the ball 11 times. Mm-hmm. He trailed the entire starting lineup in shots taken. I don't believe Victor Oladipo would be a happy guy post-game after a win where he shot the ball 11 times. Mm-hmm. I, I think he'd be kind of crappy about that. And I need a coach who's going to impress upon Victor Oladipo the need to be that kind of player rather than be the next James Harden. I didn't, what the hell do we want another James Harden for? We, we want a guy who, who doesn't win in the playoffs but scores 38 points a game? I don't need that. I don't, you yeah. want that? I don't want that. No, and I mean, you, you love James Harden's offensive game. And you've I talked do. about how you think he's a top 10 player in the NBA based on his offense alone. And so, you know, I mean, I think that's a bit of an extreme take for uh, for me. And I won't agree with all of that. But I will say James Harden is very special. And I just don't see that same type of player in Victor Oladipo. No, I, I mean, I honestly, I hate to say it, but I probably see more Westbrook in Oladipo than I see Harden based on how he plays. I mean, uh, recently after the injury, he's been throwing up a lot of threes. And they, you know, were clanking the rim quite a bit. But I will say this. I got to ask you because... We saw in that playoffs it was a little bit frustrating to watch him play. We didn't see, you know, the Vic that we're used to. But do you think that Vic thrives in a pick-and-roll situation better than what he was trying to do there, try to create on his own? Because I really think when he ran the pick-and-roll with Sabonis quite a bit, those two had such great chemistry, and it really opened up Oladipo's game. You know, here's what I think about Victor Oladipo is that he's listening to too many people. Yeah, and and so I I think the people trainers in specific are are telling him that he needs to create on his own and not rely on the flow of the offense. That there's money to be made for people who can create on their own because guys who can create buckets in the NBA are very very valuable because they're very scarce. And so Victor Oladipo wants to be a part of that. But there's another part of Victor Oladipo, and this is the part of Victor Oladipo that I love. He is a people person. And he does want to win. Uh, I just think that there are people with access to Vic who are putting the wrong messages in his head. And as a result, he's playing a brand of basketball that I don't want him to see. And I don't think he's well suited to play. Like you mentioned what I think about James Harden. I think that James Harden is the most talented offensive basketball player I've ever seen. And I watched Michael Jordan every single game from 1987 through that 92-93 season, the last season of the, that they had that initial 3 mm-hmm. I watched Michael Jordan hard 
every single game. I think James Harden's a better offensive player than Michael Jordan from 87 to 93. Maybe I'm nuts. All right. But Victor uh, Oladipo <laughs> does not have that game. Victor yeah. Oladipo is a 35% three-point shooter who cannot get the corner on Goran Dragic right now. And yeah. I don't know that he's going to get that leg into shape where he can. And if he can't get the corner on people, then he better become a really good functional part of a thriving offense rather than trying to be the alpha male, the diva, uh, on a team that's going to win 50 games. Yeah. No, that's that's a great point. And I think, honestly, when it comes down to it, Ken, I just I want them to get the best coach that benefits the whole team and not just one player. So, you know, while we don't have any, you know, coaching resume for Chauncey Billups, we know what kind of guy he is. We, he kind of, you know, checks some of the boxes that Kevin Pritchard brought to the table when he was in his uh, – press conference, postseason press conference, talking about things he wanted in a coach. Obviously, they're doing their due diligence. They're going out and interviewing people. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if this lasted another three weeks, for crying out loud, with the interview process. I mean, there probably could be, you know, Jason Kidd, someone on the Lakers coaching staff. I wouldn't be surprised if they wanted to inquire about interviewing him. I just think they're trying to make sure they go through all the process of all the steps and the whole process of getting that next coach. But I, I got to ask you, did you listen at all to any of the, the comments made by the players during the Malcolm Brogdon Radiothon? I did not. Okay, so... I did uh, not. I was out of town. I was camping in Michigan. I, I missed almost the entire Radiothon. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, it was a really cool It was a really cool event, a really cool day, and they had Pacer players come on and say different things. And one of the things that stood out to me was T.J. Warren. He came on. You know, T.J.'s a quiet guy, so he's not going to give right. you much. But here, but he gave probably more than anybody else gave that I heard. I mean, Brogdon was very, you know, detailed in what he said. I'll get to him next. But T.J. Warren goes, I've seen the names. Speaking of coaching candidates out there, he said, I don't want to mention any, mention any names, but so far I like what I see. So um, take that with a grain of salt or what, Kent? Uh, yeah, well, given that virtually everybody who's qualified for a head coaching position has been rumored to be, you know, either being interviewed or about to be interviewed by the Pacers, I'm uh, being vague, you know, is, uh, is a pretty good strategy right now because they're looking at, they're looking at Agaba guys mm -hmm. and, and say, so, and you know what, here's the thing, here's a good kind of inside baseball media thing if, if for people who are going to get into media and you interview a player ask about a teammate if you don't have a relationship with the guy you're talking to or or the woman you're talking to you're not going to get much out of him unless you ask that guy about a teammate and then if you ask about a teammate that unlocks a whole torrent of really really good stuff with these guys and that's a great way to build a relationship and show that you're you're not some jackass you know, who's trying to pimp these guys in a post-game deal mm -hmm. in the locker room to, to try to, you know, get clicks. So, uh, but I, I don't know. You know, I like the names I'm hearing. I have no idea to whom he, he could be talking about Donovan. He could be talking about Craig. He could be talking about Hammond. You know, he could be talking about Brent. He could be talking about anybody, right? I hope he's talking about Chauncey. Let's just say it. <laughs> That'd be great. I'd Wishful that. thinking, right? Well, I'm going to get to he's Malcolm. Be cheap, though. No, I you mean, know? neither is D'Antoni, and if he's the one that's a front runner, so. I'd rather spend more money on Billups than D'Antoni. At least it's something different. Um, but but Miles Turner was on Dan, with, with Dan Dockage, and he said that they all, the front office, asked for our input on candidates or what we want from a coach, what we'd like to see different. 
but they're not necessarily, you know, making the decisions, but they ask for their input on candidates and what they'd like to see different. So I thought that was interesting. But then Malcolm, uh, he probably was the most detailed. He said, um, he basically listed a handful of former players who are coaches, Doc Rivers, Ty Lue. He even mentioned, mentioned Nate McMillan and, and, and said that a player's coach doesn't have to be a former player, but he would like a player's coach. And that's perfect. You know, uh, Brad Stevens is a player's coach. Eric mm-hmm. Spolstra is a player's coach. You look at the guys who, who are still coaching right now, those four guys who are coaching. And did Malone coach? Or did he play in the NBA? Because the other guys didn't. Yeah. Spolstra and Vogel. And Vogel's a terrific player's coach. He never played a minute in the NBA. Uh, you know, you, you've got Stevens, Brad, barely played in college. He played for DePauw. For yeah. goodness sake. So, you know, it, and the, I to me, that's sort of like that's the sexy way to go. Mm-hmm. Right. You, you see guys who played a lot and and you wonder, like with Chauncey Billups, and I love Chauncey Billups, and I hope he's the next coach of the Pacers. But you look at him and you really kind of have to wonder why he would put himself through this. Why, why do you want that? You've got all the money you're ever going to need in your life. You want to be around family, I would guess. There's a lot of travel. There's a lot of grind in being an NBA coach. I would question the level of sanity of a former NBA player who made all kinds of money over the last 10 years or so or 15 years who who wants to get into that game. I get it with Doc Rivers because Doc played in the 80s and, and into the 90s, just into the 90s, I think. And, you know, you weren't making all that bank. When when you played during that era, so maybe he needs he needs some cash. But for a guy like Chauncey, who's got I don't know what he make one hundred fifty two hundred million dollars over the course of his career, that's a lot of jack. Yeah, I, I don't know what the what the motivation to get back involved would be. Well, I think if you're a basketball mind, you might just want to challenge yourself. That would be my yeah. guess. Yeah. You know, why would Steve Nash want to get back into it? I mean, he's enjoying life. Uh, he had a great Hall of Fame career. You know, Chauncey won a championship. But, yeah, I think a lot of those players, they just love being around the game. They miss it, and this is a way for them to be challenged in a different way because it's it's one thing to be a player, and it's another thing to be a coach. And if you're able to experience both, I mean, Larry Bird, I, would, I wouldn't say he necessarily loved being a coach. I think it was more of a he tried it out, and uh, it was a one-time thing, and he didn't do it again. So, you know, rightfully to- – what now? He was really good at it. He was, you know, yeah. He did, he, and he had the right team. He, Larry Bird, whatever you may believe about Larry Bird as an executive or a coach, his timing has always been perfect. He has mm-hmm. been so good at timing his uh, entry and then his exit, just really, really smart. Yeah. Well, we don't give Larry Bird enough credit. You know, he no. knew all along that Kawhi Leonard and Paul George couldn't make it to the conference finals. So that's why he traded away Kawhi Leonard for George Hill, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, that, yeah. That, that was my little uh, my, was my little Clippers Paul George slander there on Twitter after they <laughs> lost to the, the Nuggets in seven. But, yeah, so uh, let's take a quick break here. Kent, we'll come back. We'll talk about a few more things and uh, wrap up today's show. So I hope you guys uh, just take a quick break. We'll be right back. All right, everybody, we are back after a little bit of a break there. And, 
Kent and I are going to talk about the NBA playoffs going on right now, and i got to get your thoughts over the weekend, Marcus Smart kind of blew up in the locker room after the Celtics went down two games to none against the Miami Heat. Gordon Hayward comes back, and Miami you know, Miami got their butts kicked for most of that game before they made a little bit of a comeback in the fourth. But I absolutely loved that story about Marcus Smart being so annoyed and so ticked off at their two losses in a row that he went off in the locker room. And personally, Kent, I think the Pacers lack someone with that much passion that cares that much about winning and losing. What were your thoughts on that whole thing? You, boy, you know what? A lot of good can happen with mm-hmm. something like what Smart did, and a lot of bad can happen. True. If you have a good thing going and you have the wrong guy at the wrong time to say the wrong thing, the whole deal can implode. But if you got the right guy who says the right thing to the right people and shows that kind of passion, and, and here, you know what? You look at the Pacers, and Nate wasn't a guy like that. Nate's not a big screamer. And Malcolm Brogdon, as the leader of that team, is not a big screamer. He knows who people are. He knows what he believe, at least what he believes he can do to be a motivator as the leader of that team. If you've got somebody like Goga Batadze going haywire in the whole locker room, <laughs> it's going to be this a terrible corollary. Or, or, you know, that Goga to Paul George doesn't even make sense, right? But what Paul George did in the Clippers locker room in a similar circumstance, although the series was over, where he's trying to rally the guys to, you know, be accountable for their off season and, and to commit to, you know, challenging for a title next year. And the guys in the locker room, according to Shams, rolling their eyes and thinking he doesn't even hold himself accountable during games. He's alibying, you know, when he commits a turnover, but now he wants our buy-in at his behest, the hell with this guy, so I'm rolling my eyes. you got to have the right guy at the right time. Paul George, never the right guy to do that. Hopefully, Smart is the right guy, because I want to see the Celtics win that series. Well, and I think one thing when you look at this Boston team, Jason Tatum and uh, Jalen Brown are both really young players. You know, yeah. they're, they're not guys that are very boisterous. Kimball Walker has been around for a while, but he's never you know, experience this deep of a run. I mean, playing in Charlotte for crying out loud. And he's a pretty quiet guy too. The more you listen to him, the more you realize he's just a good basketball player. That's not going to say too much. And and then of course, Gordon Hayward's not out there. So Brad Stevens to me is fiery when necessary, but I don't think he's somebody that's going to get upset like that um, at, at to the level that Marcus Smart got upset. So I really think it was a wake up call. I think these guys re- responded the correct way in game three and to me, everybody's like, oh, making a big deal about this. Is there, oh, they're going to have to break the team up. It's like anytime anybody gets on the locker room scuffle, we have to talk about breaking the team up. It's like this happened all the time with right. championship level teams. And I think Draymond Green said it perfectly on NBA on TNT. If these guys aren't arguing and they're silent, then that's more of a problem. So I like that he got it out there. He let his feelings out. Hopefully this opens up some windows because I think this Boston team is really fun. And I want to see this series go seven games. You know, it, it brings up a, a good story about Michael Jordan that's a little bit different, not mm-hmm. like lighting guys up in the locker room. But when they were playing the Phoenix Suns in the finals, uh, the story from Steve Kerr is that Michael has a Miller Lite in one hand, a cigar in his mouth. He walks onto the team charter, or the, the private plane they're going to take to go out to Phoenix and, and hopefully finish that series. And he says, anybody thinks... We're coming back to Chicago to play another game. Get the 
plane. And that was the end of it. They went out to Phoenix. They raised hell. They beat the sun's ass, and they didn't come back. Mm-hmm. You know, when you've got a guy like, I don't know whether you have to bleep that or not. I know, was a, <laughs> a, a, a family podcast. But, you know, when you've got a guy, an alpha male, who gets on your plane and, and lays it out and says, here's how it's going to be, you, you either listen or you dismiss. With Michael Jordan, you listen. With Paul George, you dismiss. With Smart, hopefully you listen. Because, again, I want to see the Celtics win. But you got to have the right guy at the right time do the right thing. And, and if you don't in that circumstance, it, you know, the series would have been lost anyway. So if you're smart, you may as well go after it. But if it comes from a, an honest place in your heart, you know, and if it's not all blame-centric, if it's, look, I'm accountable for the way I played, we're all accountable, we're all a team, now let's play to, you know, our potential and let's go out and win this game, you know, then I think you've got something. But you've got to walk the talk, you've got to talk the talk. And if you can't do that, then it's going to ring hollow as it did with Paul George, hopefully again, not with Marcus. Well, and I mean, if you look back at Pacers teams prior to this, I believe Roy Hibbert came out and said we got some selfish dudes in this yep. locker room, and that did not bode well for that team. It uh, really affected their chemistry. They were already kind of torn apart whenever Danny Granger was traded. So that whole that whole season became kind of a bit of a, a letdown, and you know, you didn't really feel good about them going up against the Heat, even though they stumbled their way into the Eastern Conference Finals, going seven with Atlanta, and I think they went six against Washington. It was just a really frustrating frustrating playoffs, and, and you know, and I, I know when Hibbert said that, I mean, it was more frustration with probably, you know, Lance and, and that and that group. But at the same time, there's some things you say to the media and some things you say to the team. And I think if Hibbert would have addressed that with the team and not the media, then it would have came across better. And I think we can kind of go back and just look at Michael Porter Jr. When they were down three games to one against the Clippers, he said, we got to get more guys involved. You know, we can't just be the, the two centers. And, uh, you know, centered around two guys with Murray and Jokic. And, I thought that was not handled correctly. So there's a right way of doing it right. and a wrong way of doing it. And you bring up Paul George. Uh, today, an article from Sham Sharanio said, after the Clippers lost Game 7, Captain Paul George gave a locker room speech to his teammates about staying committed for another title run next year. In quotes, it was met by some eye rolls and bewilderment. <laughs> Kent, yeah. are you surprised? No, he, he doesn't. Like I said, he doesn't know who he is. Yeah. And if you don't know who you are, you can't lead others. That's one of the one of the things that is a critical piece of the puzzle for every great leader is they are very very self-aware. They know who they are, they are accountable for who they are. They they have a a a kind of a workable humility in who they are. They're they're alpha males, but they're willing to work harder than anybody. And, and Paul George hasn't earned that locker room's respect at the level he thinks he he is. He is one of the most non-self-aware professional athletes I've ever met in my life. Mm-hmm. He was always accommodating. He would always talk. He would never say anything. And and I think it was the same with his guys, with, with that team, where he would talk about being a leader, but he had no leadership capabilities whatsoever. And And – as a result, he, he didn't have control of that locker room, and he's not. He didn't have control of the Thunder's locker room. How in the hell is he a captain 
of that team. I just don't understand. Kawhi Leonard is obviously the alpha male on that team. He's won two rings. Paul George has never been to an NBA final. He hadn't been to a, a I th- he's won one playoff series since 2014. Yeah. I mean, what did, when did, when did this guy all of a sudden ascend to the throne of any team or any subsect of, of NBA players? I have just no idea, but he doesn't know who he is. And if you don't know who you are, you can't lead others. Well, I think he wants to be somebody that he's not. That's the problem with him. And, you know, I know a lot of Pacer fans still, you know, have hatred towards him. I really don't care. I just like to make fun about it because it's Paul George and it's easy to do. Easy to crack right. jokes and, and that kind of thing. I mean, I don't really care. But I will say this. Watching Paul George ascend into an all-star level, all-star level player was a lot more fun than watching him reach that moment. And especially once he came back from that injury, you know, you talked about it earlier in the first segment where, you know, Victor Oladipo has got a lot of people in his ears. I think the same problem is going on with Paul George. And, he, you know, he, he's got all these people in his ears telling him different things. And, you know, unfortunately, people have been coming at him hard this offseason. I mean, I can't remember an entire NBA, you know, mass coming at him. Like, it was always kind of like, you know, Pacer fans would say things when he was with the Thunder, but it was never like a corporate NBA Twitter bashing of Paul George. But it's like literally everybody's getting their jokes in on him now. And uh, it's it's come to the point where I almost, not totally, but I almost feel kind of bad for the guy. I just think that, you know. <laughs> Don't go there, Alex. <laughs> well, Don't go there. I just, I, I just want to tell Paul real quick, silence is golden, right? So, you know, what you don't say won't hurt you. And I think that's why you see a guy like Kawhi Leonard. Who, who never gets ridiculed. I mean, LeBron James comes out after not winning the MVP, gives this big spill about how the league, how the award is stupid and how it's not blah, blah, blah. It doesn't benefit him and whatever. And, and, you know, acts like Giannis isn't worthy of it. Well, Giannis is clearly worthy of it. Look at what he did this season. It's a regular right. season award. But you look at Kawhi. I mean, if, if LeBron James had the same exact, exact meltdown in the playoffs in that second round like Kawhi Leonard does, he's ridiculed for – you know, years. And and, and for right. Kawhi, this is just going to be swept under the rug. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that he's so quiet and uh, you don't hear about him a lot until he's on the court. And I think Paul George could take some advice from his teammate. Yeah, I he the the thing where I, I winced, and I, I still remember sitting in the, the Wayne Fusen media room and Paul's there, and I don't know whether they're talking about an extension or, or whatever it was, and Paul's talking about this car ride uh, out to Palmdale, California, or from Palmdale, where he, he said, I, I looked at my agent and I said, I got to be PG-13. <laughs> and so he, he, you know, he changed his number from 24 to 13, and it was all about this branding initiative. And I was like, oh, boy, you know, how about just shut up and play? How about figure out how to win a championship? How about figure out, I- instead of figuring out how to brand yourself, how about trusting your marketing people to do that? And, and or guiding your marketing people away from this kind of idiocy and and figuring out how to become a championship level player and motivate your teammates to do the same thing. How, how about how about we start to build the house from the foundation up rather than put all the ornaments on it before you've built any, you know, before a brick is laid. I mm-hmm. none of it made any sense to me. And, and I thought, oh, no. This guy is wandering down that road. And then, sure enough, every time the Pacers played anybody with an all-star, you know, Paul was out there hugging the all-star before the game, hugging the all-star after the game, not hugging the other guys, 
But the All-Stars, it, it was like he wanted he wanted to touch that level and by touching that level become that level and it, it just rubbed me every which wrong way and and still does. And and I, I think you're right though. I do I feel bad for him because he doesn't realize that he's on the wrong road. You know yeah. what I mean? He thinks he's on the right road. Mm-hmm. And he he's not. He's on the wrong road. And I don't think he's got any opportunity at all to correct it. I do think that Victor Oladipo does have that opportunity because I think Victor is a much more centered person than Paul George is. So I've got hope that Victor at the end of this is going to come out a better guy and a better player and a better teammate while Paul just continues to wander down this road of self-delusion. Yeah, that's, that's a fair point. And, you know, I mean, maybe there is some point of return for Paul. I don't know what it is. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if he was traded this offseason. If, if the Clippers feel like, hey, we got to do something because these these guys don't take Paul seriously. I mean, I, I mean, he got into it with Montrezl Harrell after the the last last game, and I don't think Montrezl Harrell played very well in that series either. So it's not like he's somebody that should be, you know, getting into it with Paul George. It'd be, it'd be equivalent to like Yama Mahimi getting into it with uh, Paul George, <laughs> you know, five years right. ago. But you know what I mean? It's just like I mean, Paul George. We've seen Paul George. He's a really good basketball player. And, and when he's locked in and when he's just focused on basketball, he is a top 20 guy in the league, top 15, whatever you want to call it. I mean, it, it, I think one thing that I noticed is when they played in the All-Star game and it was the Eastern Conference versus Western Conference still, and, and the East had the Heatles out there with LeBron, Bosch, and, and Wade. And, of course, Paul was out there with those three guys. And, and Eric Spolster was yeah. coaching that team. And I think that when he got on that stage – that's when he kind of realized, oh, I've made it. You know, I've done everything I need to do to become that level of player. I've got the respect from all these guys. And, I mean, rightfully so, he really earned it because he worked his tail off. And I'm not saying he still doesn't work his tail off because I don't know what he does outside of basketball, but what I see on the court. But I do think that mentally there is just a roadblock there for him. And and if the Clippers, you know, want to be that championship-level team, they're going to have to figure something out. Um, I, I don't like the complete makeup of their roster. I think they should make some make some moves. I mean, they have some pieces there to get a little bit better. But yeah, I mean, for for Paul George's sake, you know, we we like to make jokes about it at the expense of him. But at the end of the day, I mean, he was a fun player, and um, I just I just feel bad for him. Yeah, I, I anybody who doesn't know themselves and is making no effort to know themselves, it's like he's running from himself, and and I always feel bad for people who do that. Mm-hmm. You know, self not self-actualization, but like getting to know yourself and understanding the positive impact you can have on others. That's really a lifelong pursuit, but it's a pursuit that it seems like Paul George is completely uh, unaware exists. Mm-hmm. And it's not that he's not motivated to kind of, uh, uh, you know, become that or or make that journey it's that he doesn't know that that journey is even an option Mm -hmm. for him and and i wish somebody who's in his circle would say look you know what this is kind of what life is it's not about a house on geist or a house in malibu and it's not about owning a big boat it's about who you are and what impact you can have on the lives of others and and that's what the deal is and so you you, you got to figure that out. Uh, mm-hmm. PG thirteen, what you know, and what kind of car you drive, and who you're friends with. You, you're out of your mind. Stop this. Yeah. You know, it's it, you got to 
we go through that in high school. You know, everybody wants the hot prom date in high school. But when you get older, you realize that frivolousness should be, you know, relegated to those at that age, you know, to 16-year-old. 16-year-olds, don't be frivolous with the time and the energy uh, that you've been gifted. Because if if you are, I swear to God, you're going to wake up one day and say, what the hell did I do with my life? Yeah. That's that's good advice, Kent. But I uh, I want to take a quick break here. Uh, Mike Focci is going to come on real quick and tell you guys a little bit about my bookie. But we'll be back. And I want to jump into a little conversation about Pacers Power Forward Center, Miles Turner. We'll be right back. Pacer Nation, what is going on? Mike Focci here. And while the Pacer season may be done, winning season returns at my bookie. Winning season means doubling your first deposit. Winning season means Survivor, Super Contest, and Squares. At MyBookie, winning season means hitting all your parlays and your props with your feet up, counting this money. Rejoice, because it's time to celebrate the NFL season, which is nearly upon us. Invest in your intuition. Use promo code OVERTIME and double your first deposit. New players get up to $1,000 in free play. Yes, I said up to $1,000 in free play designed to add more excitement to the sports you love and the games you bet. From live betting to championship futures, every play you want to make is waiting for you at my bookie with a chance to win big. I'm talking, it's simple. Make your picks, win big, collect that cash. And you're going to use promo code OVERTIME and double your first deposit. Your winning season begins, no, 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 not next week, not tomorrow, but today, only at my bookie. And OVERTIME is going all in for our listeners. We're giving away $500 cash to one lucky person who takes advantage of this offer. And when you make your deposit, take a screenshot of your MyBookie account and email it over to overtime at advertisecast.com. That's overtime at advertisecast.com. That's C-A-S-T dot com. $500 will be given away at the end of September. So why would you want to place a bet with anyone other than my bookie? And at the end of the day, let's go Pacers. All right, everybody, we're back with our last segment. And uh, before I talk to Ken about Miles Turner, I want to let you know we're going to have a bonus segment on this episode. I'm going to be joined by Jabari Ali Davis to talk about the Lakers and the Nuggets. So if you're interested in that, stay on for that. But now we're going to talk about the uh, Miles Turner. And it's uh, it's pretty adamant that a lot of people around here have mixed feelings about Miles Turner, what he is as a player. Uh, what the Pacers should do with his contract and, and him as a player going forward. Should they trade him? Should they try to build around him and Sabonis? Should they trade Sabonis and keep Turner? What should they do with him? And so multiple people have, have have hinted at the fact that Turner is the most likely to get out of Indiana out of all the players they have. So, so Ken, I want to talk with you a little bit about Miles. Miles is an interesting player for sure. Yeah. I, I was so high on him when he first came out. Um, when he was drafted number uh, 11 overall by the Pacers in 2015. 
started power forward um, in the playoffs against the Raptors when they took him to seven. Really showed some promise. Larry Bird said some glowing things about him. He said he could be the best pacer ever. And then Paul George leaves and everything kind of goes downhill. And I'm just curious, do you think that expectations were set too high for Miles as a young player? Wow. Uh, well, you know what? You bring up a good point. I remember talking to Dan Burke about Miles, and this was this was his rookie year, maybe after 10 games. And Dan said he's an all-star. He's going to be an all-star. Mm-hmm. He works really, really hard. He's got terrific game because, uh, like the last game he played as a freshman at Texas, he only played one year at Texas. He played 12 minutes, scored two points against Butler in the NCAA tournament. And, yeah. and then he goes 11th, and you're like, okay, what is this? Um, he's developed, but he's got a little bit of that, too. He, he's got, as we talk about Paul George, there's – I remember talking to Miles his rookie year, and he said he wanted to be the CEO of his own company. And and I thought, well, that's that's a, a great aspiration. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. But what I wish that he was committed to was figuring out how to play championship-level basketball and, and show up 82, 82 times a season, and especially in the postseason, and go to war like we saw him do a little bit against the Heat where he kind of started posting up. Remember, was that the was that game three? Um, uh, it, where he just he started posting up, getting his ass into Harold or whoever it was, demanding the ball and putting the ball in the jar. And I was like, now that's a guy. Let's go. Mm. You know, but there seems to not be a switch with Miles Turner that that like I crave winning. I got to win this game. You know that I don't see that out of him. And I think that that it's that vibe that has kind of distanced fans from him. And then you combine that with the fact that I think he's probably the guy on the Pacers team where you could get real value. Yeah. Like he's only 24. He's going to get better. There's so much to his game to like that I think you could get something back in trade that would be very, very enticing for the Pacers. And that's really when we talk about a guy being traded out of here, it's entirely dependent on what the offer is coming in the other direction, right? You know, mm-hmm. nobody's untouchable. You offer enough, you can get anybody off of any team. But with Miles Turner, I think you could get you could get a pretty damn good return on 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 him as a talent moving out. And I, I'm not in any hurry to see him go. I, I like his shot. I like uh, the way he positions himself to block shots. He he's a good defender, uh, but there are just there are times when he just kind of goes away with no explanation, and I don't know why that is. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing. It's like he disappears in big moments sometimes, and it's and it's frustrating. And I think that my expectations for him were super high. Um, especially yeah. after his rookie season, I thought, man, he looked really good, you know, playing power forward next to Jan Mahimi. It's definitely weird to think about two guys that big and that clunky playing next to each other in today's NBA, but that was just like five years ago. So, uh, it was really, it was really interesting to see them play together. And then, you know, the next season, he has a great game, a uh, season opener against the Mavericks, 30 points, 16 rebounds. I'm thinking, okay, this is what Larry Bird was talking about. He's that guy. And it just kind of fell apart there as Paul George's season kind of, you know, unrivaled and everything was just, 
you know, about PG leaving the Pacers, and it was an awful locker room. Mate Ellis gets waved, and they stretch him Oof. out. Yeah, I mean, it was just a bad locker room environment. And and it was interesting because if you remember, the Pacers went out and signed out Jefferson, and they had him for two seasons, I believe it was. And we had Big Al come on our podcast, and we asked him about Turner and Sabonis because we were curious, you know, what you thought of both players and can they play together? Can this thing work? And he was optimistic, of course. And one thing he said, though, he said, one thing that drives me crazy about Miles, well, uh, is that he's very hard on himself. And he beats himself up a lot. And he said, I always try to encourage him because he's always so hard on himself and so down on himself. And I think that mentally that can really affect an uh, impact and a, yep. a, have an effect on a player, especially a young player like Miles, because he was a starting center. They bring Sabonis into the starting lineup, and now his roles completely change, and he's hardly touching the ball. Not saying he's selfish, but mentally, I think he was just a little bit out of it. And um, you know, I, I know that I've been hard on him. I think when I've really got hard on him was that that Cavalier series. Tristan Thompson didn't play all series. Comes in Game Seven and just pushes Miles around all over the paint yep. and dominated him. And I remember, you know, I I, uh, I believe it was uh, Mike Wells came on and just said that he's soft in the booty. You know how how Mike Mike is with his analogies and his comments, but it, it was just it was just kind of true. Turner was not tough enough and strong enough to hold himself down there against a veteran like Thompson. So I still I still think we've seen Miles make you know exponential growth in that area but it's it's st- still something he needs to work on you know uh you brought up monte ellis and monte ellis the year that miles turner was a rookie uh, miles and joe young were both rookies and monte ellis with the media in the room there are probably 10 of us in the locker room like it, with total indifference to us obviously and i got no problem with that dresses down miles turner and joe young for not having spick and span like perfectly orderly lockers in the most profane way possible <laughs> to the point where i thought if one and joe young you know i mean he's an end of the ro- uh, roster guy end of the bench guy and not in china he's scoring like seven thousand points a game yeah but at that point that's who he was but if i'm miles turner and i'm a rookie and i got this guy yipping at me about my locker i'm getting angry yeah and and i'm gonna put a stop to that now i'm gonna go at him and whatever happens happens but i ain't taking this crap anymore and i thought that the way miles kind of sat there and accepted what what monte ellis said uh, i i was like man what gets this dude upset what's it what gets this guy fired up who's he gonna be with four minutes left in the game seven where, where like you got to get into a guy and and you got to show your opposite number that you mean business and you're there to take this guy's series away from him. What are we going to see out of the guy who wouldn't tell Monte Ellis to shut the hell up and and come across the room and say you you got something to say? Let's go, you know. But that's not who Miles is. Yeah, we, we'd love to see him be that, but he's just not that guy. Well, and I mean, do you think that that had an impact on him for the long term, or is it just, I mean, what kind of locker room is it now? I mean, it's a lot better, right? Yeah, although because of Corona, we're not allowed in there anymore. It's an exceptionally good locker room, Mm -hmm. and it had been a good locker room. Like, that locker room in 12-13 was a really good one. 
Um, Monte Ellis was not a force for good. Like, right. and, and that's the thing with Larry Bird. God bless Larry Bird. He's a Hoosier legend. We love him. He, you know, a tremendous All-American at Indiana State. Played at Springs Valley and was unbelievable in Indiana All-Star. Anyway, all, all that stuff aside, that guy did not understand how locker rooms fit together and, and how chemistry works. And that he kept throwing like, you know, it, it like if you go to a, a produce section and you got to cook a meal, you go to the grocery store. There are people who can shop for the ingredients and, and know how to assemble them correctly. Larry had crazy disparate ingredients that didn't go together at all. And he's got like oranges, you know, in mashed potatoes. <laughs> and he's got, you know, it's like. There's peanut butter on, you know, the uh, uh, the salads. That it, it, none of it worked. It was just insane, and and that was part of it. But I, I don't think that that corrupted my. I don't think being dressed down by Monte Ellis meant a lot to him. But yeah. I think that it should have. You know what I mean? Right, right. And right. I don't think you can build a guy, um, and you know, into uh, I, like. Either you're the kind of person who walks across the room and says, here, you want to hit me, hit me, but you better hit me hard because if you don't hit me hard, I'm going to beat your ass. <laughs> you know, that kind of that kind of attitude yeah, yeah. is not stuffed into everybody. And if you don't have it, I don't think you will have it. Miles Turner, here, you know what? I, it, I think this sounds like I'm being negative. If Miles Turner was my son, I could not be prouder of what that guy is and the way he handled himself in the locker room. Mm -hmm. But if you want to win championship rings, you, you need to be something different than yeah. the guy who's going to allow Monte Ellis to dress your ass down. Yeah, I mean, and I, and I guess part of that, like, that's a really cool story. I think it's interesting for sure. But I really think he's a rookie, and Monte is a veteran on this team. He probably was just trying not to overstep his boundaries. I mean, I think if, uh, I think if somebody kind of says something to him now, I think you might push back a little bit more. I don't think he would let somebody just ride him for it because he's a little bit more solidified and is the longest term pacer on that roster right now. So you know what though? Here, here's another thing. All right, my nephew's at Indiana, and okay. he's going around through like this pledge business with fraternities. Right, right. And uh, so he was uh, in the process of of like rushing a fraternity, and so this fraternity, uh, I don't know, some guys on the fraternity started to hit him. And then spat on him. Oh, no. And and so he's done with the fraternity and good for him. There there are people who would want to be a part of that so that they can spit on people. There are people like my nephew who just walk away and say, you people are jacked. I'm, I'm done with this crap. And then there are people who say, okay, you spat on me. I got a problem. Whap, whap, whap. You know, we're going. Yeah. I want the whap, whap, whap guys yeah. uh, on my team who are going to go win championships. I don't need the guys who want to be a part of whatever twisted wreckage of a culture that represents. I don't want guys like that in my locker room. And that Monte Ellis was ever invited to be a part of that silliness is, to me, a pox on, on the career of Larry Bird as an executive. And that Miles didn't correct it. You know what? I'm I'm all about being a nice guy, but you can't let people spit on you, and you can't let people mf you around a locker room in front of your teammates in the media, or you got a big problem in that locker room. 
No, and that's that's a fair point. I think there definitely was a locker room issue, and that's why Monte was not brought back, and that is why they stretched out that final year, which they're still paying for to this day. So it yeah. just kind of goes to show you how much they wanted to get Monte off that roster. And, and they should have really known that. I mean, Bird should have known that. Like, Monte was not the most coveted guy because they got him for $44 million for four years, and there weren't a lot of suitors after him. I think it was like one other team. So, you know, as good as Monte was with Golden State, in his early career, I think, you know, he had a decent run in Dallas, but with the Pacers, it just was not very good. And uh, when it, when it comes to Miles, though, I just I look at this young guy and I think this guy has a lot of tools. This guy is a terrific yeah. rim protector. This guy can really shoot the three and, and put the ball on the floor at times, and he can he can make things happen. And it's like I've uh, I've I've unfortunately cornered myself into where I made a decision early on between him and Sabonis, and I was. Team Sabonis from, like, uh, the first year that Domas came here. I just love the way he played the game, and I love the confidence that he played with. And it's it's almost, you know, it's probably on me because I, uh, you know, I uh, kind of was really hard on Miles, and I kind of give Sabonis a pass quite a bit when it, when he does things that he could do better as well. So I just I just look at this team, and I think, you know, everybody expects Turner to be traded. I, uh, I'm probably in that boat as well, but I, I do think that, Depending on who they get as a coach, it makes it makes a big difference. And if they yeah. believe they can compare, if they compare him and Sabonis together, if they think they can try this experiment out and make it work, but if they do trade him, I'm not just trading just to trade him. I think that's stupid. I think you got to trade him for someone that's going to make sense for the future of your roster. I don't, I don't, I wouldn't just get rid of a guy because fans think he's not as good as he should be. No, I I couldn't agree more. But, like, when we get to attitude, and I know that Miles is a better three-point shooter. I know that Domas is is maybe a a better body around the rim defensively and offensively. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they, I mean, it's kind of two styles. You get to pick one, and, and having both, accommodating both is a little bit tough. But at the end of the day, what do you think would have happened if Monte Ellis goes after Domas Sabonis in the way he went after Turner. You think they have a little bit different relationship than what, what Miles brought to that party? You bet they do. Nobody is talking to Domas Sabonis like that. Nobody would have talked to, whether he was a rookie or a 10-year vet, nobody's going after Al Jefferson like that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You got guys, I'll tell you another one, is uh, uh, Kyle O'Quinn, oh, yeah. right? Nobody was – Scola. Nobody's going after Scola like that. But you pick on the guy you think you can get over on. Bullies are really, really good at sensing that. And, and Monte Ellis was a bully in that moment and in others. Mm-hmm. Um, it, but you're right about the coach. you know. And, and at the end of the day, if the coach at – well, not at the end of the day, but at the end of the season, this coming season, if they, if they do keep both, and this coach doesn't believe he can find a way to be ultimately competitive with both. One of them is going to go. Yeah. And and uh, I sure would love, man. I, you know what? It, this goes back to like the '90s, but I loved it when the Pacers. You know, you had the Davis boys out there. You had Reggie. You had Mark. More often than not, you had Jalen. You had guys that you could like. You knew year after year after year after year were going to be there. And and we really haven't had that for a long time. There's been so much turmoil and chaos on this roster. I, I just want some sense of of kind of con, a continuum where where we get to know these guys, we enjoy these guys, we watch them develop, 
and hopefully win a championship. I hate the constant tumult on this roster, and, and I hope for that reason that they keep both and find a way to win with both. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the thing. If they can win with both, I think you, you, you keep them and you just let it ride, ride its course. But if you're looking at this roster, I'm not attached to anybody to the point where I would be devastated if they made a move. Um, even Sabonis, I, as much as I love the guy, and uh, he's probably my favorite guy yeah. to watch on this team, if they can get better by making a move with one of these players, I'm all for it. And it's um, it's just to the point where I want to get the best competitive roster that we can have in Indiana to, to push for a championship-level team. That doesn't mean you have to win the championship, but it means that you're competing. Like, I mean, if you look at the Eastern Conference, this would probably be a good thing to talk about next week when we come on, is just look at the Eastern Conference and how it's going to be shaped up with the current rosters now. Where does Indiana fit with those teams? I mean, it's going to be tough because the Eastern Conference is getting better with Kevin Durant coming back. I, I hate to break it to the Pacer fans, but Durant's really good. And although yeah. he came off a serious injury, I, I'm not worried about it. And if and if uh, Steve Nash's reports of him playing center are true, you know Kevin Durant's going to be a problem for a lot of teams. And how do the Pacers go about, you know, punishing the Nets for for playing Durant at center? Can they? Ken Sabonis get him in foul trouble? I think that'd be an intriguing thing to see. But ultimately, Ken, I just I just really think the Pacers are in a crossroads right now where they've got to find the right coach and they have to build the right roster. I want continuity with this roster as well. I'm tired of the constant changeover. Change is really fun to talk about on podcasts. It's good for ratings. It's good for that kind of stuff. But it's not. But it's not good for winning championship basketball. I mean, no. Uh, you know, I, I know we talk about like Jimmy Butler and coming to the Heat. They're in the Eastern Conference Finals. Anthony Davis is paired up with paired up with LeBron. So you got teams that haven't been together a long time. But these are top ten, top fifteen players in the league. And if the Pacers aren't going to get that, they've got to win with guys that are in, you know, the 20 to 40 range. And and if they can do that, then go for it. But I just I just don't see a top 10 or top 15 player walking through the door anytime soon. So they got to figure out a way to build similar to the Nuggets, but I don't think they have that Jokic or Murray level player right now. But they got to build similar to that where it's more of a, a deep team than it is a star-driven team. Yeah, and you brought up the Heat, kind of the same deal. Yeah, All, yeah. Although Jimmy Butler is more a... Uh... Uh, an all-star level player but you know they found they found butler they went and got uh as an undrafted free agent a kid like duncan robinson they take hero uh, late in the lottery part i think he was inside the lottery wasn't he or just outside he was like 13 or 15 uh and they figured out how to win with those guys you know they got the right players in the right position to go win basketball games and they empower those guys, and and then you augment them with guys like Crowder, and and uh, you find a way, and you know, uh, uh, Dragic, yeah, and and find a way to go in games as a unit, and yeah. and you don't see that a lot in the in the NBA historically or recently, but I love the way they play, and so if you go out and you get a guy like. Like, uh, you know, their assistant that we're looking at, that Dan Craig guy, I guess, you know, good. You know, it, it, at least he's seen the way that that's done. And over a long period of time, he's been with that franchise for a long time. That's what I want Indiana to be. That's because that's the only way to get to where we want them to go. Yeah. Right. They're never, ever going you know, at least they haven't since hell, I've lived here since 1993. And they haven't had a top nine pick in the draft since before I got here. 
they they traded and moved up to go get Bender at number five. Yeah. But they, you know, in 99 or whatever, but they've just never had that kind of young talent, and I don't see them getting that young talent. So uh, let's go do it another way, and these guys seem to have figured it out, so let's do it that way. Well, and I, and I think you bring up a good point about Miami, but it's like they've got young players, but mix them with those young players are solid veterans. Jimmy Butler's been in the league for a long time. Dragic, Iguodala, Jay Crowder. I think sometimes yeah. we undervalue yeah. the importance of veteran leadership on a roster. And if yep. you look at this Pacers team, I mean, Justin Holiday is their oldest guy, but they really lack that, those veteran-type players that are all around the same age. I mean, looking at just the entire rest of the playoffs right now, all these all these teams have really solid veterans. I mean, I know uh, Denver, their, pro- their solid veteran to me is Paul Millsap. Even though he's a little bit washed, He's been in the league for a long time. He's very composed under pressure. Uh, you know, obviously LeBron James has been in the league for multiple years. Gordon Hayward's been in the league for a long time as well. And while I think Gordon's better suited in the position he's in now because Gordon's not a number one guy, but he definitely is someone that can just kind of carry the mantle in a sense and, and, and be that voice of reason. I think I think Marcus Smart's been in the league, you know, at this point long enough that you can trust, you know, his in, input. But I just, I definitely think that the Pacers miss true veteran leadership. I don't think they need to go out there and sign a bunch of old guys, but I think that, you know, when they had Al Jefferson, that was a big part of veteran leadership that they missed on that team. Thad Young was a great veteran leader for this for this young team. So I, I would be okay if they went out and made a move like that, Kent, because I just think getting so young is is good, but at the same time, having a voice of reasoning, having a leader in there that might not be playing. I mean, I think T.J. McConnell is probably the best one they have right now in this role. But I think they could use more voices like that that are, are ready to play when called upon but don't need the minutes to feel uh, validated with what their role is. You know, look at the Pacers, those teams that, uh, you know, were the best in franchise history, NBA franchise history. From 98 to 2000, where he had guys like Chris Mullen, who is still capable of being productive, but was a great leader and a great veteran, or guys like Sam Perkins, sort of the same thing. Mark Jackson had been in the league uh, for 10 years in 1998. Derek McKee, a 10-year guy that year. Reggie Miller, a 10-year guy that year. You know, even a guy like, um, I mean, the young guy on that team was Jalen Rose, for God's sake. You know, and and he'd been in the league for three years. You, you in in that year, you, in and in that era, you really kind of had that cross of of veterans and and young guys that I think propels a team like the Pacers to to go play at a high level. And and you brought up Andre Iguodala. Iguodala knows how to win. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think you've got to have a guy like that. I go back in baseball, like to the 1980 uh, Philadelphia Phillies, where they had they brought in Pete Rose. Pete Rose knew how to win. Right. And he brought that swag to the clubhouse immediately. And all of a sudden, the Phillies went from a team that won division titles to a team that won a World Series. If you got guys who have won, know what it's like, know what it takes – you, you, you've kind of you've crossed one of the bridges toward that end, you know, and and so I, I mean, who the Pacers got? I'm I'm trying to think, you know, in in my head, who who's won a, a championship on this team, and I'm I'm coming up blank. With Justin anybody. Holiday. <laughs> I, yeah, right, right. So good. 
nice, and he's the old man. He, he's the only guy in the roster that's 30 or over, right? Right. Everybody else like 28 and younger. Uh, I think they got to get older. But if they trade a 24-year-old who you've kind of languished with for five years, or it, it has this was Miles' fifth year, right? You, you uh, all of a sudden when he's 24, he's a goner. Yeah, you, know, you don't really reap the reward of of the seeds you were trying to sow as as you develop the kid. I, I just assume they stand pat. I know that's not sexy, you know, and it doesn't make for great podcast material. No, nope. but I'd like to see this roster come back virtually intact and see what they can do with another guy as a coach. No, I think they need to make a trade. I just I I don't I don't buy into uh, the big the two bigs working long term. I think they got to make a decision on one of them. I'm obviously gonna gonna say Sabonis is the one they should keep, but I, I think you know what player we're getting back makes a big difference. I mean, I'm not just trading like I said just to trade him, but you know everybody and their mom wants the Pacers to go out and get Drew Holiday. Well, well, Drew Holiday is coveted by five or six different teams right now, so it, it's going to be hard to offer something that's that trumps what other teams can offer. And I was we've talked about because a lot of people have brought up Gordon Hayward's name. This will be our last topic here, Kim. But a lot of people have brought up Gordon Hayward's name to the Pacers, and I've kind of had re, you know reservations on that because I think Hayward's in his last year. You know, it's thirty some million dollars. It's a lot of money to pay a guy. You'd probably have to give up both Lamb and Turner to get him, and you know that money could make the trade work. But I just think you know. What what we saw from Gordon Hayward in Game Three in that in that Heat uh, NBA uh, Eastern Conference Finals, you saw someone that can play make. We saw someone who's a really solid player and a good leader. I just think that the Pacers could use someone like that. He doesn't have to be the guy, but if you put him with Sabonis, Oladipo, and Brogdon and Warren, I think that's a really fun starting five. And I think that you have a really smart basketball team and a team you know. Outside of what Victor is going to be, you don't have a lot of egos in that starting five either. So that's why I'm intrigued by a move like that. But I definitely think we we saw how much Boston missed the playmaking of Gordon Hayward, and um, I, I think that if the Pacers could get him for one year and then try to re-sign him. That would be that would be better than than trying to make this double big work. And I do know that he and his wife are building a house here. Ooh. So there's that. Does that mean anything? I I don't think that one has to do with another. I think he just wants to live here when it's all said and done. Uh, But anyway, yeah, Gordon is going to make $34 million for a game. So tell me, Gordon, Gordon's an interesting dude, but six, seven, two and a quarter, uh, a guy whose game is at least similar statistically to a guy like TJ Warren. Um, so where, what do you do if you give away Turner? How does this work? Well, what do you mean? How how him and Warren coexist? Yeah, how him and Warren coexist, and and what you do? Uh, who do you do you move Warren then to the four? Yeah, I think you just put one. I mean, Hayward's been playing the four all year long. So, I mean, I don't think you'd have a problem with it. I mean, depending on who your coach is, it just I think it's just matchup-wise, who's the better defender? I mean, we saw some really really solid defense from T.J. Warren all year long, and I think if you're worried about their offensive production, I think similar to Sabonis and Turner, you could stagger their minutes, where one of them is on the court with the second unit, dominating the second unit. 
Now, I don't know if, if TJ would be better in that role or Gordon would be better in that role, but I think Gordon would make more sense in that role for me personally just because he would be okay running with the second unit, especially if you still got McDermott, a really lights-out shooter. You know, you can figure things out. Aaron Holiday, I'm excited by him. Then you could uh, then you could play Justin at the four some if you had to do that. Maybe get a little bit bigger. Maybe play some. Maybe play Goga some now and give him a chance to prove what he's got. And, now you uh, got me excited. Well, and you got a veteran like Gordon <laughs> out there with him. So that's kind of why I'm intrigued by it, Kent. So it's just, I mean, I don't even know if Boss is going to move. But I'm just saying, like, if he is available and the Pacers can trade him and uh, Turner and Lamb or Turner and a couple other players to get him. I think it makes a lot of sense because at the end of the day, you just need basketball players that are smart and that can help this team grow. And then, you know, if Vic decides he wants to leave, well, then you already got Gordon Hayward in place, and then you can go out and trade Vic and get somebody that maybe fits the roster better as well. So now you, you kind of got a core you can build around, and you said you wanted to build around a core for a while. I would be okay with a core of, of Brogdon, Warren, Gordon Hayward, and Demontis Sabonis, and, and then figuring out what you do with Oladipo and, and the rest of the roster. Hey, so Lamb and Turner kind of match up. You, you get to what, uh, $28.5 million, and then next year Hayward is scheduled to make, is he supposed to make 34 or something like that? Well, what is you that could, right? I think it's 32 or 34. What you could do then is if, if you're oh, the Pacers, you could. Yeah. It's. I think you get 1.25% on the tax, so that could make up for that. Plus, you could throw in everybody's favorite pacer, TJ Leaf, in that deal to make the money work. <laughs> and then, Good of course, Lord. and then Boston will just cut them, right? Because they don't really want them. But, I mean, they you know might... what would be hilarious, though? If Brad saw something <laughs> in TJ Leaf, and all of a sudden TJ Leaf turned into a 14 and 9 type guy. <laughs> you know, how, how hilarious would that be? Well, I don't think he could be much worse of a defender than Enos Cantor. <laughs> that's for sure. Yeah, that's a good point. But, uh, that's but a yeah, good point. That, that's just kind of what I'm thinking. I mean, I'm not saying boss. I'm all right. Him, but I just like that core. Do you not like that core? No, I do. Okay. But I, I like, and uh, but I here's here here's a great piece of advice I got from uh, Rick Venturi, uh, the uh, now he's the radio analyst for the Colts Radio Network. He said he was talking to Frank Cush one night, and Frank Cush at that point he was an old guy head coach and uh, about to get run out of town uh, when the Colts first came here from Baltimore. He was a head coach, and he told Rick sometimes the best solution for a crisis is a good night's sleep. Yeah. And what he meant is don't hurry into a solution for a problem until you see it right there in front of you. And, and this problem with Sabonis and Turner, this might work itself out somehow. This might not need a proactive solution from Kevin Pritchard. Maybe you just let this percolate a little bit and the correct path is going to show itself. Uh, I don't think that while that sounds weak, like to us, but I think that's a pretty damn good strategy for for a guy like Pritchard. Let's see how this goes, and then if somebody blows you away with an offer, go ahead and and the path come becomes clear. But I don't need I don't need Kevin to be really proactive about this in order to solve a problem that may not require a solution in the end. Yeah, that, I mean that's that's a point. I don't know if I agree with it, but. Um... I just I just want Kevin to be proactive, to be honest with you. I want to see what he can yeah. get with this roster. He's been pretty laid back, I feel like, since he's been here. 
not very aggressive in the trade market. He's been all about culture and, and letting these guys play together. And they uh, overachieved in year one when he took over, basically with Paul George uh, wanting out. They overachieved that next year. Then Oladipo gets hurt. So it's it's been kind of a bumpy ride for him. Uh, injuries have really derailed the Pacers and yeah. what we what we can see from them going forward. So that's another point there. I guess you could make if if the Pacers have been healthy, what would they be? How how much better would they have been against Miami if they had a fully healthy roster with Lamb and Sabonis? Nobody knows. So I mean, I guess you have that in the back of your pocket, thinking, well, you know, maybe we would be something if we were fully healthy. But at the end of the day, Ken, I just think you got to make moves to better this roster, and you can't be afraid to cut ties with somebody that you like. And let's not be afraid to call it like it is. We need stuff to talk about. So, damn it, Kevin, <laughs> get going and make some deals. Turn it in, turn it into that Wheeler Dealer you were when you were with the Blazers. Yes, and and go raise hell and bring us guys so we can yell and we can cheer and and we can create compelling programming. Absolutely. And guys, we've got a <laughs> trivia question for Kent because he didn't bring it up oh. on today's show. Trivia question, where did Duncan Robinson play at college before he went to Michigan? Williams College, a D3 <laughs> school, and then transferred to play with John Beeline because John Beeline is a smart, smart man. <laughs> Have to keep that ongoing because that is now five podcasts in a row that Kent has brought up. <laughs> Duncan Robinson and Williams College. So, Kent, it's always fun talking to you. I appreciate it. And uh, we'll uh, we'll be right back with uh, Jabari Ali Davis. See you later, Kent. All right, see you. All righty, everybody, we're back, and we're joined right now by Jabari Ali Davis to talk about the NBA playoffs, and we'll talk about the Pacers a little bit as we wrap things up. But Jabari, man, thanks for coming on. Glad to have you on the show. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks for having me again. Absolutely. It's been a while since we've done this, and I think the last time I did this, it was with a totally different platform. So it's it's good to have you back on the show, and your Los Angeles Lakers are, are looking really, really good right now, up two games to nothing on the Denver Nuggets after the game-winning shot by Anthony Davis. Frank Vogel, former head coach of the Indiana Pacers, is the current coach of the Los Angeles Lakers. So, Jabari, what 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 have the Lakers done in this bubble to really ramp things back up? Because they were not playing super well in the in the seeding games. Yeah, and you know what's interesting about it is, you know, people were making a big deal out of that. And, yeah, I may have been one of those folks that was just trying to play it too cool for school. But part of me did wonder, are they really taking these games seriously? Because if I'm not mistaken, after game one, or it was either game one or game two, they had already officially locked in that, that top seed. So it really just felt like they would – it really just felt like at least initially, you know, like or throughout the rest of the, the seeding games, it was just a matter of, like, nobody get hurt, everybody stay healthy, let you know, be ready to go, you know, when the lights come on. Now, outside of the, like the first games of the you know of the first two series, like they they have been they, they have been at that level at least defensively that we saw you know heading in, you know heading into the you know the situation before obviously before the pandemic. And quite frankly, if though if if basically if LeBron and AD are playing at their best or or, or giving you a, you know max effort and the and this squad is defending at the level that they can that they have shown especially over the course of, you know, over the course of this but you know this bubble action. It's going to be difficult to beat them. It's just that simple. Yeah. I mean, Anthony Davis, LeBron James, two of the top five players in the NBA. And you could even make a case maybe Anthony Davis is better than top five. Maybe he's top four. Who knows? But it's all subjective. But I'm curious. You know, those two guys have been playing mm -hmm. great. What other players on the Lakers have really stepped up to, to make this team complete? 
It's it, it really you know this will sound cliche, but it truly has been a total team effort. Like it, it's one of those where in a given night, and w- one of the things that I've really appreciated about what Frank Vogel and that coaching staff did in, in like say in the previous series, they you know it was evident that after game one against Houston, they you know like they simply it would not be in their best interest to play their centers. It really at all, but especially you'll know, be to be leaning upon their centers and obviously go with a smaller lineup with AD at the five. One of the things that I've, I've really appreciated is that you, you haven't seen like, you know, people complaining. You had like, it, it's kind of similar to what we've seen out of Miami, how like they had a certain, they had a certain rotation heading into the postseason, And all of a sudden it was like, Nope, this is, these are the guys we're going to go with. And everybody over there has embraced their role. It's really been good to see with these, with these Lakers because, you know, and again, on a given night, it could be Kuzma, whether he's scoring or do, you know like, doing little, things that quite frankly he simply didn't do in those first few years in the league uh or you know Alice Caruso had a big game in game two uh you know really Rajon Rajon Rondo as as much grief as I have personally given him because quite frankly he was not good in the last two regular seasons he has been spectacular to the point where I will I will no longer uh you know sarcastically say playoff Rondo because it appears to be an actual thing (laughs) yeah well Rondo definitely has been a bright bright spark for the Lakers and they needed mm-hmm. them, you know, really in that Rocket series because they, they mm-hmm. the guard the guard play for LA, we'll just call it what it is. It's not very good. But you've you've gotten really good play though out of KCP, Rondo, and Caruso. And I think Danny Green's kind of been underwhelming this year, especially what he did last year for the Raptors. You're kinda of hoping he would be able to carry that same thing over, but you know, his three point shot isn't automatic. He's still a decent defender, <laughs> but you know, KCP's kind of been what to me, what I, what I kind of thought Danny Green would be, that's kind of what KCP's been for this Lakers team. And then, you know, you, you go from the Rockets series to this series against the Nuggets, and, you know, no Dwight in the in the in in that Rockets series, really. And, and then he gets a big amount mm-hmm. of playing time. So it's just these guys being ready. I think they're all focused. They're all ready to win a championship. But it's kind of crazy because if you think about it, about a month ago, when the, when the bubble was about to shut down, I mean, the players are really about to leave. LeBron and Anthony Davis were the two that said we're not playing any more games. And so I, I think that it's been really good for them to see, you know, the situation, make the most out of it, use their platforms correctly. And it's it's been really interesting to watch this team. But Denver, I mean, they're giving the Lakers a little bit of a fight here, and nobody expected Denver to be in this spot. Yeah, I, I won't lie to you. I picked Utah in the first series. I picked I picked the Clippers in the second series. Yeah. And I'm picking the Lakers in this series. Now that's not a knock against Denver. And you know what? You're right. It is a testament to the work that they, you know that they put in. It, you know, obviously, uh, you know Jamal Murray was phenomenal early in the playoffs. He, you know he was he was also very good at part during stretches of the Clippers. You know the Clippers series. But you know the answer has been Nikola Jokic. And and I you know I'm, I'm one of those individuals that it took me a little bit of time to you know to come around on him. Not because I, not because I, you know, I, I wanted anything negative, you know, to, you know, to be in store for him, but simply because I'm a naysayer, and when everybody else is saying something, I'm a contrarian. So I will, I will acknowledge that, unlike other people on on NBA Twitter. <laughs> uh, but but once I once I was brought to the light, and I, I would say prior to last season, uh, was realistically when I realized, okay, no, that you know, he's the goods. Uh, I, I I acknowledged like you know, if he's playing as well as he you know played, especially down the stretch of that you know of of, uh, of game two. Where, if I'm not mistaken, he scored 13 consecutive points, uh, and, and it was re- it was a really fun back and forth. Obviously, with Anthony Davis getting the, you know getting you know throwing the last knockout punch. Uh, but if you're getting that type of play out of him, to be honest with you, while yes, I think the Lakers are going to win this series, it's going to be close. No, no matter no matter how many games it goes, four, five, six, seven, it's going to be you're likely going to have close affairs, and I'm here for that. 
Yeah, yeah. And I mean, when you talk about Jokic, I mean, I'm kind of one that was slow to the bandwagon as well because it's like everybody's hyping this guy up, but he always comes in Mm -hmm. out of shape. I just Mm -hmm. don't know what to think of him. And I think over the last couple of years, when when you really watch him play, you see how special of a player he is. But I definitely think he's a classic example of don't judge a book by its cover because when you look at Jokic, he's not athletic. I mean... He, he mm-hmm. looks kind of fluffy, so to say, and, uh, <laughs> you know, not ripped. He's just, you know, just a big guy. But some of the shots he makes, he's an incredible passer. His passing is on a whole other level. I mean, uh, it's just beautiful to watch him make certain reads and, and, and see him run the offense. But I, I will say last night, uh, that, that last shot that Anthony Davis hit, what was Mason Plumley doing? I mean, my goodness. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, he, he he's calling for the switch, and, and – and I forget who it was. Maybe it was P.J. Dozier, I think. And, and he was just I like, think so. And he was staying on his guy. I don't even remember who it was at this point. But Plumley just gets hung up for like two seconds. And then the fact that Jokic retreated all the way from the baseline out there to challenge that shot, it was impressive. He got a good to challenge. Know. Yeah, he did. But it's just like you can't give up those looks, Mason Plumley. And that, I mean, that's just a blow to Denver. It, uh, it really sucks for them. But for the Lakers fans, that's really fun. And it's really great to see Anthony Davis coming into his own a little bit here. Yeah, without a doubt. And let's be real about it. The reason why that's so deflating is because that's a game that if you're Denver, you have to win. Now, it, is it a must win? No. But come on, man. They needed to win that game. They got 25 out of, out of Jabal Murray. They got a great, you know, a great close and an overall great game from Jokic. They, you know, they had a 14, you know, 14 uh, free throw advantage, advantage over the Lakers. Uh, LeBron has a terrible second half. And, it, and it, you know, like, like you said, the, you know, just with a you know, momentary lapse in judgment or whatever, I don't. I obviously don't know what Mason Plumlee was doing because I, you only got you got two, two two seconds left. You cannot lose sight of Anthony Davis in that situation. I don't yeah. want to make this all. I don't want to make it all about you know Mason Plumlee because of course like you don't lose or win on a, on on one play. It just so happens that you know in the biggest moment on the biggest stage, it was it, it was a mental it was a mental error that you just can't have. Well, yeah, and I mean everybody's gonna you know look at that play and. And get on Plumlee's case, and yeah, he messed up, but it's part of it. But it just yeah. it, for Denver, it's so deflating in a sense because they had that huge comeback in the fourth. They take the lead after trailing, and they look, you know, they just look like, oh, we're about to win mm. this game. And mm-hmm. uh, even when Anthony Davis hit that shot before to go up, the Nuggets came back down and scored again. So you're really thinking, oh, Denver's about to do this. They're about to do the impossible. And um, a lot of people were counting them out once again after game one because they didn't look mm-hmm. great in that game, but. Even if Denver's down 3-1, we've seen it the last two series. Don't count them out. This team knows what it's like to scratch and claw with their backs to the wall. And I just I just like this Denver team, but I like this Lakers team. And, you know, I, I'm not going to lie. I was, a little, I was a little lukewarm on the Lakers heading into mm-hmm. the bubble. I just – this whole season, I just – I thought they were going to be good, but I didn't know if they'd be good enough. And um, I, I'm really disappointed in the Clippers and their complete collapse because – the Clippers did, in a sense, rob us of, of seeing what everybody wanted to see all year long. Yeah, I won't lie to you. There, there's always going to be a part of me that's disappointed that that did not happen. But, you know, end of the day, you know, th- this is why they actually roll the ball out there and play. Because I definitely I, – I, I wrote in pin. I didn't pencil it in. I wrote it in pin. Clippers are going to be in the Western Conference Finals, and I hope the Lakers make it so that they can go ahead and take them out. That was kind of my stance on it. 
all of a sudden, you know, but but like I said, that's why they actually play the games, of course, because uh, when you know when it really came down to it, I'm not going to lie to you. I think if if uh, Dallas is is fully healthy now, of course, you know, you can't help injuries, but if Dallas is fully healthy, I think Dallas might actually take Denver, you know, take the Clippers out in that situation. So obviously, the Clippers, even though on paper they look like you know you know they look they looked like they were going to be the champs, you know, you know, shout out to them for being paper champs. Uh, in reality, it's simply it's still it was still the same old Clippers, and to be honest with you, with all of the moves that they made in this offseason, that has to hurt. Oh, yeah, it, it really does. And, you know, it was funny. We talked about it previously on the show with my other co-host, and it was funny because we were talking about, you know, Paul George's speech uh, about staying together for another title <laughs> run. It's like you didn't have a title run in the first place, you know. So You, you, you mean for another, like, you know, just you know, kind of cool season where you don't really have any connectivity? And, yeah. Anyway, I'm now I'm being a hater. I recognize that. But well, he, I mean. Also, it is funny. No offense to Paul George, but he hadn't been out of the first round in like five years. So, you know, to get out of the first round was a big step for him. To get to the conference finals would have been a huge step. He hadn't done that since he was with the Pacers in 13-14. So, you know, maybe he needs to pump the brakes and realize who he is. And we, we said we kind of just feel bad for him because he doesn't understand the the player that he is, where his role is. Like, you're just uh, – uh, you're – you're in a sense just a guy on the team that's really good. You know, nobody really takes your leadership seriously when you're clanking shots off the backboard and you're not able to be consistent every single game. So, I mean, you're going to have bad games, but he was more inconsistent than I can ever remember him being in the playoffs. So, you know, I just I just want Paul to get back to that level of a, of a great player. But Kawhi Leonard, you know, he, he didn't play well and he didn't get ridiculed enough for his poor play. And, um, mm-hmm. It's it's just frustrating to see. But as far as the Lakers go, I mean, they're up two games to nothing. What team in the Eastern Conference do you think they match up better with? Oh, man, it's funny. We talked. We actually discussed this on our show last night, and I went back and forth, and I still feel the same way. Like uh, you go up against Miami, and, and to be honest with you, I would be very interested interested in seeing that AD versus Bam matchup. Now, obviously, it's not just going to be a one on one situation. Miami has great defense. Lakers you know, can also play great defense, and you know it, it would be a team effort. But that's a matchup that I would like to see. Even though, to be honest with you, while Miami does have a lot of length and a lot of perimeter wings, I don't think I don't think they have anybody that can guard LeBron. So I think the tougher matchup, and obviously the matchup. Well, I should, maybe I shouldn't say obviously. Obviously, if you know that I, you know, I grew up in Southern California you know, during the eighties, I want to see Lakers in Boston. Even yeah. though I think that's, even though I think that's a more difficult matchup because I think you know with Boston having everybody there, if Gordon Hayward especially is fully, you know, is back and, and still in that mix, uh, you know, having three or four guys that can knock down shots and, and as well as a, uh, an overall defense that you know plays together and, and plays for one another, and you got you know you, you got you know that it guy in Marcus Smart. I know a lot of people you know may not love him, but he's absolutely that it guy for that you know one of the it guys for that team you know that's just going to be a tough series no matter what so if i'm the lakers i'll be honest with you i'd feel confidently against any of them but if i if i could i probably want to sneak by the you know by the heat yeah and i mean it's it's interesting because i think that the heat have some guys they could throw at lebron i think jimmy butler is capable uh, of going up against lebron i mean they obviously went out and traded for jay crowder and iguodala Obviously, mm-hmm. Iguodala's washed, but Iguodala's also had pretty good success against LeBron in the playoffs. There's no yeah. doubt about that. They have a really nice history, so that would be a fun dynamic as well. I mean, I'm intrigued by both Eastern Conference teams. I think both of these teams have been fascinating stories. They've, they've, done, they've done great in the bubble. I was really high on Toronto coming into this because I really liked the way they were playing in the, in the seeding games, and I thought that they would give – Boston run for their money. I thought they would win it in seven. Then I thought they would actually beat the Bucks 
because I didn't trust mm-hmm. the Bucks, and I and I really wasn't sure what this Heat team was. But I think when you look at the Heat, the biggest thing for them has been the the improved play of Tyler Hero, the, the growth we've seen from him just in the moment. Mm-hmm. Jay Crowder's shot has been pretty consistent, and I think the biggest factor, though, is not Jimmy or Bam. I think it's been Goran Dragic. He's been the the killer. He's been the X factor for that Heat team, and I think you know Marcus Smart and and the Celtics really did a good job of trying to eliminate his success, and that's why I think that they got off to a a good start in that in that game three where they won the game. I think you're. I actually think that's an excellent excellent point, specifically because. Uh, look, if when Drogic has it going, obviously on the offensive end, the Heat are, are, are just tough because you know you're going to you know you're going to get Jimmy grinding out anywhere from eighteen to twenty eight you know ish points. You know what you, you know you know you're, what you're going to kind of get from everybody else. But when Drogic gets up into the you know like the twenties and the high twenties, it it just gives them that you know that go to guy. I actually I actually you know, with, you know just to you know just quickly reference like that ma- that potential matchup with the Lakers. The reason why I specifically you know said that they don't have somebody for LeBron, LeBron takes Jimmy to the box and and, and, and he goes to work against him. And the, the, the situation with Iguodala, he's lost. I mean, you know, maybe maybe you know, maybe he's got something left in the tank and he's just storing it up for that, you know, just in case you know matchup. But I just don't see it there from him. So, but either yeah. way, I, I'm not going to lie to you. I would love to see either of them. I'm certainly not going to get ahead of myself as you know, like as a Lakers fan, you know, because like like you said, Denver is tough. They've got the they've got the knowledge, not just the belief. They've got the knowledge that they can come back from a you know from a three one deficit. So. You know, I'm not going to get ahead of myself, but it would be fun to see. Yeah, I really think any of these matchups would be fun with all of the four teams involved because, you know, mm-hmm. Boston, Boston and Denver would be a weird matchup. I think Miami and Denver would be a weird matchup. So I'm excited for this, Jabari. I know we got game uh, game three tomorrow night on Tuesday. So if you're listening mm-hmm. to this Tuesday morning, it'll be tonight between the Lakers and uh, the Nuggets. But we have Boston and Miami got a nice little break. They don't play it till Wednesday night. And I think that really just had to do with trying to get the, the uh, series back Kind of in in uh, sync mm-hmm. because you know they the 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 Heat and Celtics started a little bit earlier with Denver going to seven games against the Clippers. So uh, Jabari, as we kind of close things out here, I want to get your thoughts on the Indiana Pacers: a firing Nate McMillan, and b out of all the candidates you've seen them linked to or that they have interest in, is there anyone that sticks out to you that would make you know good sense for the Pacers going forward? You know, it's interesting. Like I'm not one of those people that's going to sit on the sideline and say like, oh hey. You know- why could you? How could you possibly do that to Nate McMillan? Because I do think that as a coach, you're hired to be fired. Oftentimes, just from the outside, it did look peculiar. Specifically because, and I know that a lot of this has been covered, and I'm sure you guys have been discussing it on your show. So I don't mean to rehash. The only thing that looked weird is just the fact that they, you know, just a couple weeks prior said that they were going to re up. Right. Ultimately, he ultimately he's gone, and you know, it is what it is. So moving forward, now obviously I've heard all of the same names, you know, like you know, that have been thrown out there. The Mike D'Antoni one. The reason why that intrigues me is. Because what are they going to do with that roster in terms of you know, uh, the system that he likes to, or no, the system that he's going to be running with? It doesn't necessarily match up right now. So that would lead you know. So the fact that his name was thrown out there so much, it leads me to believe that they might be you know, you know looking at swinging for the fences and and really making some significant changes with the roster. And to be honest, I don't really know what's out there. That would make them, you know, that would that would make a great deal of sense, or what's actually available that would make a great deal of sense 
you know, to, you know, to play, you know, to play in his system. All of that said, it still feels like, and and please correct me if the if the rumor has been dispelled or if they've corrected it. It still feels like it's going to end up being a Mike D'Antoni situation, and I'm always excited for that. You know, you, you, yes, you know, I've had I've had my quibbles with, you know, with with him at times, but I'm always excited for you know to see what he can do. You know, with the impact that he can have on an offense. Right. I mean, I guess I guess his name has just kind of lingered around. He was the first one that was mentioned, so that was kind of the big mm-hmm. thing. And, you know, there's been more names recently. Uh, Mike Brown, Woj tweeted out that Mike Brown was being interviewed by the Pacers. Shams came out and said Billy Donovan was interviewed by the Pacers. I'm out mm-hmm. on both those guys. I talked about that at the beginning of the show. Not a fan. I don't think that it's very – I think it's a lateral move from, from McMillan to both those guys. Mm-hmm. I think D'Antoni uh, is probably one of my top three because of his offensive innovations. I, I don't think – Yes, the roster will change if he is the coach. There's no doubt about that, and I think the Pacers are willing to make changes because Victor Oladipo is a free agent, and they got to make sure that they make the right decision on him, whether they sign him, whether they extend him, whether they trade him. So it's it's up in the air. It, nobody really knows it's going to happen, but Kevin Pritchard did say in his press conference that he expects the market to be very busy with trades because I don't know how much money mm. will be available for free okay. agency. So that is kind of – where we're kind of like interested in seeing what kind of players could be moved. A lot of people around here are expecting Miles Turner to be traded out of him and Sabonis. And I th- and I think a lot of people um, are intrigued by the D'Antoni offense with Sabonis at the center position, how it would look different. Obviously, he couldn't do the same thing he did in Houston, but it might be a little bit more reminiscent of what they did in Phoenix. Could they go back and kind of run that kind of style? So it's uh, it's interesting to say the least, but – a name that we're really high on on this show is Chauncey Billups. And it's it's mm-hmm. almost just because it's a new person. You don't have to worry. I mean, if you're going to hire an assistant, you know, of course they've worked their way up. But with Chauncey, it's new. And I think that it, it, he's going to cost money. He's highly coveted by other teams as far as, you know, wanting to be in the organization, an assistant coach, that type of thing. He's been linked to Ty Lue as his head assistant coach wherever he goes. So, it was interesting to see that he got an entire article from Woj that, you know, after he had just released the 15 or whatever it was the day before. And Pritchard said he wanted to hire a player's coach. So that's kind of where we're thinking hmm. Billups okay. made, made some sense. And, uh, yeah, we're, we're really intrigued by Billups. I would say our top three uh, consensus here on this show is Billups, Dan Tony, and then Dan Craig from Miami, an assistant. I got you. So, I mean, all of that would make sense. And I, I'm, I'm going to be honest, the Billups situation, what it feels like to me is like, hey, but we might be able to find something incredible in the mystery box. Now, yeah. that's not to take it. That's not to take anything away from him. I, I want Chauncey to get an opportunity just like I'm at. Look, just like I'm having for Steve Nash getting his opportunity. I would love for Chauncey to get his opportunity. And if it happens with you guys, I would want him to be successful because, you know, quite frankly, I hate it when I hate it when former players and, you know, like, you know, get, you know, get an opportunity. And then, you know, for whatever the reason is, oftentimes it's not necessarily just on them. It doesn't work out. And then we never really hear from him again. So like that, that that's always my hesitation when it comes to, you know, guys just kind of like walking off the street and doing it, but I would be happy I would happy I would be happy for him and for you guys if that did happen. Yeah, and I think one thing like Woj mentioned in his article was the Pacers have hired former players. It goes back to Larry Bird, then Isaiah Thomas. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Know, and then Nate McMillan obviously was a former player. So they kind of like going that route. But if you look at the Pacers since like I believe it's like early nineties the the longest coach that they've had is Frank Vogel, who was there for four and a half years. So they Yikes. don't keep coaches around for a long time. So that's kind of why D'Antoni makes sense because he's seventy or sixty nine years old, seventy years old, 
He doesn't mm-hmm. want to coach for another 10, 15 years, probably. So he'll get in there four or five years, make about, you know, five to seven million a, a year and get another 35 before he goes and retires for the next, you know, 20, 30 years that he's got left of his life. And, you know, I mean, that makes, that's makes, that makes a lot of sense. But Chauncey makes sense in the sense that you, you get a player that has a relationship, like they mentioned, with Malcolm Brogdon, with, with Victor Ladipo, mm-hmm. and with Miles Turner, which was reported. So that's, that's kind of why we're intrigued by that. But, you know, Becky Hammond obviously is a hot name. A lot of fans around here have always been uh, mm-hmm. curious to see what she would do. I've heard some pushback on that. I've heard that she could kind of wear players out with her personality. I don't know. I just it's what I've mm. heard from other people, reporters around the, um, the around here. So it'll be interesting to see what they do going forward. But ultimately, do you think they should make a move on Miles or uh, or Sabonis, or do you think they should try to pair them together and see how this thing works out with them fully healthy? I think to be honest with you, we've seen that you know we've seen that story. Like obviously, it could look different in a different system, but I'm going to be honest. At this stage, with the way that the league is moving, having two you know like having two bigs of that nature, I wouldn't necessarily stick with. Quite frankly, I I would have moved off of one of them last year. Yeah, uh, and, and and I think that they probably should. I like both of them. Like I, I'm a fan of both of their games, but it, for whatever reason, again, and I could be wrong. From the outside looking in, it, it definitely feels as though Miles is going to be the one on the way out. Yeah, and I think I just think Sabonis coming off an All Star year, it's mm-hmm. just it's really hard to to trade him and sell to the fans. Hey, we're trying to get better, and I, I think yeah, you know what I mean. It's like it's like the same reason Charlotte didn't trade Kimball Walker before the deadline last year. Mm-hmm. All Star games in Charlotte, they couldn't they couldn't trade him. You know that was their guy. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's an intriguing situation. But you know I've heard Miles expects to be traded. Um, whether that's true or not, I don't know. That's what I've heard. So mm-hmm. we'll we'll see what happens. I think Miles definitely at twenty four years old has plenty to offer, and it would just to me it makes sense if they want to trade him to to get something that makes sense in return. I wouldn't just trade him to deal him because you can't play the two together. But is there any players out there that you think would make sense that could be on the trade market for the Pacers? Not necessarily a trade for Miles, but is there a player or two out there that you think could be moved that would make sense for the Pacers? I know Jeremy Lamb is coming back, and that's good. They need more wings. They need more guys like a Zach Levine. Yeah, I like. I I have no idea whether he'll ultimately be moved, but it's certainly it's certainly something that Chicago should be looking for. Uh, you know, you know, looking to do specifically because like you know, what are you wasting all of this young talent for? But whatever, I'm not gonna uh, let me get off of Chicago. But a player like that, like you know, like a, a, another another scoring wing. Is exactly what I think you, know, you guys can use, and, and, and quite frankly, if you end up going with the Mike D'Antoni you know, direction, look for somebody like that. Yeah, because I think one of the names that a lot of fans have been talking about here, there's two names really: Buddy Heald with Sacramento. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think he makes a lot of sense. You know, he's around the same age group, 27 years old now, and that's right mm-hmm. around the core of the Pacers guys between Brogdon and Oladipo and Warren and Sabonis, and then. Drew Holiday, because, of course, we have the two other holidays here, so everybody wants the three to get together for a family (laughs) reunion. And um, somebody that I've kind of thrown out there, I don't know if you've seen on Twitter or not, but we talked about it. I said, what if Oladipo says he doesn't want to come back? Or if you could do something where you go out and uh, recruit Fred Van Vliet and come up with a package of Turner and and, uh, Jeremy Lamb or something to get Van Vliet here, someone that's you know been really good in, in clutch playoff moments. Is is that a move that would make sense? 
You, you know, it's it's funny with Van Vliet because like my I, my initial reaction is always like, ah, he's diminutive. No, the guy gets it done. So you know, let let me come off of let me come off of my old old uh, you know outdated way of thinking about, about things. Yeah, I think Fred Van. Vliet, I think I do think that he could help the, you know the team, but for whatever reason, it, it it's just this just feels to me like they you still need more scoring wings. Oh, yeah. And while yes, yes, he can fill it up if you're going, but you know, if you're going to you know like uh, if you're going to put the resources into it, I would I would go with a bigger guy you know that can also defend you know yeah. defend other guys, but. I'll put it like this: I don't think I don't think you go wrong if you end up with a Fred Van Vliet because he had right. right. He has shown he has shown that he can step up big in, in big moments. And I think that's why Drew makes sense because he's a defensive mm-hmm. guard. Um, another guy that we just talked about before you came on was Gordon Hayward. A lot of Indiana ties here. He just bought a house here, so people are obviously jumping on that, saying, "Oh, he just bought a house in Indiana." So basically, I think he wants to live here once he's done with his career. But you interesting. Know, um, it would be interesting because he's got one year left player option. You could offer like once again a combo of Jeremy Lamb and Miles Turner for Gordon Hayward. It, it kind of makes sense for Boston if they want to move on from Gordon if they don't want to pay him thirty four mm-hmm. million with all the wings they have, and then that gives them a little bit more depth at the center position with Miles. Yeah. You know, I like Tice, but is Miles better than Tice? I mean, that's debatable. Tice has had a really good year. But I think Gordon Hayward is someone that, you know, while he's not the most athletic, he's a really smart player who can still get it done and is a great playmaker. I think that he would benefit or the Pacers would benefit drastically from from him being on the roster. I think that trade makes too much sense. Like, I'm going to be honest, like as you described, I was like, oh, you know what? I would love the pairing of Tice and Miles as opposed to my, uh, Tice and and Cantor. I'd yeah. like yeah, like th- th- that would absolutely help them. And you're right. If if ultimately they determine that you know Gordon Hayward's not in their future plans, especially you know with the player option in, in that final year, it would make it would make a great deal of sense. Yeah, there's a lot, I, you're right. There's a there's a lot of movement that could take place you know in a very short period of time. Absolutely. I mean, we don't know what's going to happen, so this is all hearsay. But I yeah, love talk. I love talking about it. But um, all right, so we're going to wrap things up here. You guys can find Jabari on Twitter at Jabari Davis NBA. You can also check out their podcast Dunks and Discourse. Uh, Josh Aberly and you still do that, right? We do still do it. For whatever reason, people continue to listen, so we appreciate it. <laughs> well, hey, it's uh, I've listened to it. I I know that I am. Uh, bad about getting around to listening to all the great podcasts out there because there's so many Mm -hmm. but i do try to check in with everybody throughout the year but you know with covering the pacers i usually listen to pacers podcasts to try to get my fill of what's going on but anyway jabari thank you so much for coming on we really appreciate it and uh, we hope we can get you back on soon absolutely my pleasure and in the off season if you want to talk about these things i would love to because you know i like you enjoy it as well Awesome, man. Well, we'll have to do that. And you guys can check us out on Setting the Pace at Setting the Pace 3. I'm at Alex Golden, and we thank you all for coming on to this lengthy episode. Hope you guys enjoyed it. We'll talk to you all next week. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.